All right, we are live now with Mr. Landon Castle. How are you doing today? Doing wonderful. That's great to hear. So the NASCAR driver on the side, professional comedian on Twitter, full time. What's what's that like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's almost that's not even a joke. Um, <laughs> um, it, it's all right, you know. I just uh, I enjoy the internet. I'm kind of a child of the internet, you know, being a millennial and growing up with it. Used to troll on forums and message boards when I was a kid and and now that there's different platforms for that I just kind of taken my time there it's none of it is really intentional as much as it is just kind of what I do every day and honestly that's I think I'm pretty sure that's how I sort of found you I mean I saw you on TV during the races and everything and this was back gosh 20 14 or so I think is when I when I first started watching you and then I was like oh you know I wonder if this guy um who liked one of my pictures on Instagram you know I was looking through I'm like oh I wonder if he's on Twitter so I look at your Twitter and it's just nothing but just like jokes and, <laughs> and messing with people and everything I'm like okay yeah this is interesting um <laughs> you know what I think it was the first interaction I personally had online with you was uh, it was a picture of a couple years ago, I think four or five years ago, Paul Menard's car when the tire exploded and went up in flames. Um, it was a picture of that, and then on the side it said, huge fire sale at Menard's, like everything off or something like that. <laughs> so, anyways, so you were uh, unfortunately out of a seat for the past couple months, but you are now back in, back racing, um... So you had a bit of an issue at Martinsville, but, you know, that's a mechanical issue out of your control. How do you feel going now into Texas um, with with Starcom? Well, I mean, I, I feel like we just need to kind of evaluate and see what they've got. I think they're all kind of curious. I'm curious. I think they're – I was happy with how the engines felt in Martinsville, how the engine felt in Martinsville, and I was – happy with the progress we made with the car but you know a lot of our speed is going to be made from the shop if we can prepare well and have a good starting setup and get just the platform close and the the height of the car close off the truck at texas it'll give us our best chance to have a little bit of speed so that's kind of the focus and the goal there and hopefully we can make something of that i'm hoping so as well you know it's it's always great to see the smaller teams and Starcom Racing having just really come into fruition uh, very, very recently. It's great to see the teams like that doing well. And I remember looking at you know looking at the race in Martinsville, and you were actually doing pretty well until um, the drive shaft failed. So, I mean, I have I have high hopes for for the team, and I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's. Uh, a market for new team owners in the sport. I think that, um, you know, the fresh blood is definitely healthy. So, you know, these guys at Starcom Racing, I think they're in it for the long haul, and, and hopefully I can be a part of that. I'm hoping so as well. And, it you know, it probably doesn't hurt to have Derek Cope, uh, Daytona 500 champion, leading the way with the team manager. So, For sure. For sure. The Copes have, you know, they, they're the ones that kind of brought this team up. And, and so it's kind of cool to work with them. So... Aside from this year, um, where it's sort of, I imagine the rest of the season is still in the works, depending on how everything goes uh, at Texas and how, you know, gauging everything before the mechanical fail at Martinsville, I imagine everything for this year is still, you know, being 
worked on, contracts being written up and everything. But how about in the past? How do you feel that how do you feel Starcom is versus uh front row motorsports and other teams that you've raced for in the past? Well, I think that they're just uh they're kind of in their infancy stage compared to other race teams. You know, they're they're most race teams have a very similar storyline of, of uh, a car owner who is interested in motorsports, wants to get into it. Maybe they're attracted to the business side of things. Maybe they just want to go racing. And in some cases, if they don't have any racing experience at all, it's a big learning curve for them. And so I think Starcom fits into that category that they want to go racing. They're also interested in the business opportunities, but they you know, don't have any racing experience. So it's just a, a steep learning curve. So there, there's a lot of owners that they can align with and, and probably have a lot in common there, but uh, because they're so new, um, they're just, it just makes them the new guys on the block. Do you think that puts them at a disadvantage, but even though they have the sort of an experienced team and I know they're using pit crew from more experienced Xfinity teams that have been in the business for a while, but do you think even with all the experienced guys are at a bit of a disadvantage being so new? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's that's just part of the challenge, and that's the challenge in, in any business, in any sport. You know, when you're new, you've got a, uh, a lot to learn and a short time to do it, and and the, there's a price to learn. You know, they're going to they're gonna spend money that, um, you know, a couple years from now, they're going to look back on some of that money they spent and go, man, we could have done better with that money. But that's just part of the learning curve, you know, and, and you, you hire the right people and, and, you know, you make the best decisions you think you can make. And, and they're doing that. Uh, but the, the only way to really go through the process is to learn for yourself. So the the good thing about this this ownership group, I think, is they're aware of the things they don't know. And and they're kind of they're open to to feedback and just getting an understanding of what they need to learn and what they need to do to progress their team. And I'm sure that's going to work out great for them. I mean, not many teams are able to get the names that they've had behind the wheel. Derek Cope, Jeffrey Earnhardt, you know, you obviously. And I think being able to have such high caliber drivers so early on is definitely going to be an advantage to them. And, you know, I remember talking to Derek Cope um, in December of last year before uh, you know, a couple months before Daytona, and even he was saying, yeah, you know, we're not expecting to be able to go out and win in the equipment we have, but we're expecting good finishes, and we're expecting to, to do well and grow a lot, and that's the key is is to grow. So, I mean, it seems like you're already fitting in and doing pretty well with the mentality that they have at the shop there. For sure. We just, you know, we just need to see progress, and and the things we need to see this weekend at Texas are, are our adjustments that respond to the car. You know, we want to see the car go faster when we put tires on it. We want to uh, make changes in the race that improve the car and, and obviously make it to the end of the race. And, and hopefully we can get them the best finish they've had yet. I'm hoping so as well. So what, what led up to your career in NASCAR? And I realize this is a bit out of order starting out where you are and then, then going to where you came from. But how did you get to this point in your career? Well, I grew up in Iowa, and you know Iowa is a great state for for motorsports and short track racing, mostly dirt racing. But um, I grew up on the asphalt track at Hawkeye Down Speedway in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and that's kind of where I made my first start in a go kart. It's where I made my first start in a modified and a late model, 
and a Legends car. And we traveled all over the country racing, but but my home base was there. And and I think there's some good racers in town there that, that kind of molded me and, and taught me the things I needed to learn. Um, and and that helps me when we traveled. And, and I raced in the ASA late model series. Um, and by the time I was 17, I signed a contract with Hendrick Motorsports to be test driver for Jimmy Johnson. Wow. And and the Snowball Derby in there as well. I imagine that was a big step. Yeah, a couple of Snowball Derby races in there. Um, you know, multiple top five finishes in the in the Derby. Always ran well at that track. Uh, I kind of have a patient driving style, a very um, smart with the gas pedal type driving style, which which helps me conserve tires at a place like Pensacola. I always ran really well there. Right, and I imagine that's certainly helps in the the cup series as well absolutely so you mentioned that you did a lot of racing uh in iowa what about did you ever cross the border into indiana and do much racing there yeah absolutely i mean i didn't go karts we raced late models um my probably one of my all-time favorite racetracks is is irp i mean that is just a, a phenomenal place it's a great place in a super late model uh, you know, it was a fun place to, to go in an Xfinity car and a truck, but man, in a super late model, I just love that racetrack. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of good racetracks in, in Indiana. Um, you know, Wisconsin also is a, um, great state to race up. Madison is a, uh, just a phenomenal racetrack lacrosse, probably one of my favorites. Uh, I can only imagine. I, I, I have to ask, you know, I'm based out of Indiana now I'm, I'm at Purdue. So pretty close, pretty I'll consider it hometown. It's only a state away, so I can now. Oh, I can label this interview now. Interview with hometown driver Landon Castle. There we go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so it sounds like um, it's a pretty relaxing day. You have the birds in the background there. How is um, how's everything going? I guess today. <laughs> I'm sorry, you can hear that. <laughs> no, it's fine. Your sound. Yeah, no, I'm just sitting out on the patio, and um, and it, it's really nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm an early riser in the morning, so. I'd come out here on the patio in the morning and drink my coffee and kind of start the day before the sun goes up. Mr. Castle, it's ten twelve in the morning. Well, <laughs> I've I've been out here for a while, but uh, I'm just kind of answering emails. But yeah, I typically get up around six or before six and and make my coffee and get going. Oh my goodness! Uh, as a college student, I can't imagine that. <laughs> oh boy, so. I guess that that'll tie into the next topic of conversation. You're known as the very health conscious driver where you seem to know everything there is to know about eating healthy, being healthy, um, you know, triathlons and every other grueling event that you could possibly imagine you seem to have done. So what, what is that like being so health conscious? And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, you, you really do know everything there is to know. It seems. Um, you know, I just saw it as a way to, elevate my performance as a race car driver and so you taking taking in a more of an endurance sports perspective um with my body and and so you know feeding myself accordingly and, and training myself accordingly because i do believe that that driving a race car is an endurance sport so i think when i took that perspective and started training uh, long distance cycling and swimming and running and uh, and kind of cut out, you know, the bad food and started eating clean. I, I could see my performance 
increase in the car and my longevity in the car uh, was much better. And, you know, I think it helps set me, set myself up for you know, successful races, but also a long career. I, I mean, it seems to have done you pretty well. You're at the top level in NASCAR, you know, still racing years later. So from when you started, I'd, I'd say it's working well for you. Yeah. So, uh, I'm told I can't keep you for too long. So I guess, um, every question or every, I'm sorry, every guest I have, I always ask the same few questions. So I guess the first one is what's the first car that you ever drove on the street or on the racetrack? Let's go both. <laughs> um, on the street, I drove a Ford Festiva in high school. It's a pretty famous car in our, uh, in my circles of, <laughs> of life in high school. And, you know, I was, I was kind of the token guy that gave a lot of rides home because people like riding in the Festiva. So we would pile in um, to the Festiva and into the hatchback and I'd give everybody a ride home from school. And uh, on the racetrack, um, I mean, I first, first thing I raced was a go-kart and moved up from there to a modified, an IMCA type modified on asphalt uh, and also ran some Legends cars around that time. Huh. Yeah, it seems like every every driver that I've asked um the first car they ever drove, it's always been a very interesting answer. Uh Corey LeJoy, really? Oh yeah. I I mean that's why you know, somebody recommended uh that I asked that and I'm like, that's not gonna be an interesting question. Oh a Chevy Impala. And then that's it. No, I've gotten Ford Festiva, which is that's pretty good. That's a very unique car, you know, everybody remembers those. Um Oh, I can't remember the type of car it was, but it had a Nintendo 64 in the back, Corey LaJoy. So he would pick up girls by asking them to play Mario Kart. And he oh, says it, he says it worked, so you can ask, you can ask him about it if you see him at the track. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to do that. Just just ask him if you want to play Mario Kart in the back of his car and I'm sure he'll <laughs> He probably doesn't want me to. <laughs> well, he did say it on on a recorded interview, he did know, so <laughs> I hold no accountability. Um, oh, I, I asked Natalie Decker this question, and she said, oh, it was this old, like, junker car. I was nine years old, couldn't see above the steering wheel, and the muffler fell off, so we always had to carry it back. <laughs> so <laughs> there's – I'm just imagining, like, like a nine-year-old uh, little girl just, like st- – like, she had to stand on the seat, and someone else would work the pedals, and – it's it's always a great question. And the the second question I always ask is how do you see the rest of the year going for you personally and um I guess how do you see it going for everybody else? Who do you who do you see as um champion? Who do you see as doing well that you wouldn't really expect to do as well as they did? Um man, uh, for myself, I, I don't know how the rest of the year is gonna go. I mean I hope it goes well. I, I really trying to work on some sponsorship deals right now that can put me in uh, you know, potentially race winning cars that, that I think would be really good for my career. But I'm also, you know, really interested to see what, what comes out of working with Starcom racing. I mean, I, if I've told them that, you know, if we can put together an idea of, of how we could work together for more races, I'd, I'd be open to doing that. Um, you know, a lot of it is just, contingent on their commitment to the sport you know if if they're if they're committed to race and want to have 
a good driver and race well and race competitively, I, I that's something that I would buy into, you know, and I want to buy into something like that. So, um, you know, I, I could definitely make a commitment to Starcom, but uh, for for the for the rest of the field, I'm not sure. You know, I think that Harvick has got some great speed right now, but um, they that four team is really really good, and they but they have a tendency to be hot when they're hot and cold when they're cold, and and for him to have this kind of speed this early in the season, he's, he's got to be able to maintain it for another 30 weeks. So, you know, he'll get himself into the, he's got himself in the playoffs already. Uh, but, but they've got to show back up in September and, and have it, um, have it then when it, when it really counts. So, um, he can, he's definitely capable of it. So, you know, I think Harvick is definitely a, a leading candidate right now for the championship. I'm just I'm writing all these down for my fantasy picks. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of Harvick though, and I I know you can't speak on his behalf, but he said he was in a bit of um, hot water a couple weeks ago. You know, the back window brace on the car failed, and he had you know a lot more downforce going down the back stretch. From a driver's perspective, do you see that as something? that was intentional where they designed this brace to fail for, you know, additional downforce. And then they can say, well, you know, it, it happened, it failed. It's out of our control. We didn't slam it down with a hammer or anything. Or was this one of those things that just happened? Because it seems every driver that I ask has a different answer for me. Uh, 100% it was intentional. And if, you know, anything that they say otherwise is BS. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, I I saw Rodney had a tweet something about it not even being an advantage or anything. That's a tremendous advantage that they had, and it was 100% intentional. And the fine and the penalty was uh, well deserved. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I've got all the respect in the world for Rodney and that team, and I think that they, you know, are the. I think Rodney is probably one of the most skilled crew chiefs in the garage, and that's a you know a crafty trick that they they did to their car, but it's, it's pretty well known in the garage that, uh, that, you know, compression on the, the deck lid, the window, the glass, the, the roof, um, the sides, any kind of deflection inward like that, uh, really helps downforce side force, uh, at those intermediate tracks. So, you know, a- anything they were saying otherwise in the public is, is just misleading in a flat out lie. That was hundred percent intentional and it was helping out that four car for sure. Huh. And I mean, I thought the most interesting part, not that the the back brace failing was unintentional, but their immediate res- response was, no, no, it wasn't us. You know, we didn't do anything wrong. It's just one of those things that happened. But there were other yeah, cars. that's a lie. There were other cars as well that had the same issue that just weren't as well documented because they didn't win the race. Also, um, the part around the uh, exhaust pipe on the side of the car well, it's supposed to be aluminum, and it was made of steel. And, I mean, I don't know how that would have been caught. That's just, that's pretty surprising that something like that was noticed. But that that's the point where I sort of was, was really skeptical of, any, skeptical of anything they said. Because replacing that and replacing it with a different, completely different type of metal cut into the exact same shape, that's, that's mm-hmm. completely intentional. You don't accidentally cut... Steel versus yeah, the, aluminum. The side skirt part, um, it, and I'm sh- I'm surprised that they said that it was steel. Um, they typically have been running like titanium side skirts back there, and I think that's something where NASCAR it, it might have been 
it must have been in the rules that it had to be aluminum or something and and nascar just hadn't been enforcing it or they've been overlooking it uh because yeah i know that that the roush cars ran titanium back there last year um and the reason they do that is just so that it can scrape the racetrack and not wear out um so you don't lose some some gap on your side skirt to the ground so you can kind of let the car bottom out and it might just flare the side skirt out a little bit, but it actually doesn't shorten the side skirt. Where in aluminum, you know, obviously aluminum is very easy. You, know, you, you rub it against the ground at 200 miles an hour and it's going to wear out by a quarter inch pretty quickly. So you know, titanium or steel might not wear right. out as quickly. So that would be the, the advantage of running a titanium or a steel side skirt. So that's something where I, I didn't realize that, that it was against the rules to do it because it was pretty common that most teams, um, run titanium back there or steel back there that's why some of those cars spark so bad Um, but uh i was kind of surprised to see nascar come down on that but yeah i mean as far as the deflection i mean that's just something where these these crew chiefs and these car chiefs right now what they're getting past to to you know get an extra a little extra aero performance out of their cars isn't necessarily the initial build of their cars and getting through templates you know they're getting through the templates in the in the um the hawkeye legally it's 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 kind of the way that they're able to manipulate the bodies after inspection between the inspection line and the grid they're having guys maybe lean against the car just the right way or or when they're putting the window in, you know, reaching in and and pulling on a brace when nobody's looking before they, they do that. You know, they're, uh, you know, kind of popping holes or popping a brace somewhere when nobody's looking on the grid. So that's, that's, that's where they're getting that advantage. So, you know, whatever happened with the rear window of the four car, it was probably a brace that got pulled out or got bent down or, or collapsed after a certain amount of pressure. And, and so it allowed that rear window to suck down. Wow. So, I mean, and it all makes sense. So what do you, what do you propose the solution to that be? Do you think they should do a Hawkeye inspection as the cars are rolling out um, and lined up for right on race day? No, I mean, that's not, you know, the Hawkeye inspection can't really change. That's where it is. It is kind of how it needs to be. You can't move the Hawkeye. It wouldn't help to move the Hawkeye you know, out onto the grid or anything like that. Well, I mean, and, and obviously in the case of the four car, that's something that you wouldn't have seen on the grid. It's something that, you know, at speed with that much pressure pushing down on the window, it's pushing, you know, is, is where the deflection happens. So I would say that, you know, maybe being a little bit stricter mandating braces, um, the angles of the braces, you know, the size of the braces that need to be in those windows might, they could maybe mandate that a little bit more. So that they don't have, you know, angles in them or bends in them that allow them to collapse. Uh, that that's that's one way they could look at it. Well, those are all very plausible solutions. You're hoping that they can uh, keep the field even as they've been doing in the past. It seems like they've done a great job of that, despite you know other drivers saying, you know, Toyota is toning it back, you know, whatnot. But <laughs> we'll we'll have to see. You know, I I do have faith in the governing body so i hope they can keep everything in line and you know keep their ducks in a row for sure well it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you uh i don't want to keep you too long so 
you are more than welcome back on Wiley Radio at any time you'd like, and we would love to host you again. You got it. Thanks a lot. Have a good one.